We have a variety of people that uh, we relate to that we find as role models. Last, win last Sunday, you might have remembered, I sat in the chair, talked about uh, the important role that my own father played in my life. Not all of us have fathers that we can look to like that. Others look to other people as role models. So I want you to get a sense. Who are the role models that we look to today? So check out this video and learn more. I would say my role models would be my mom and my dad. I think they have a great marriage of almost 50 years. As I've gotten older and have become a dad, I see the things that my mom and dad did for me, and it's just been remarkable. I never really realized how hard it was, but they've done a great job, and as they've gotten older, I see just what a wonderful life they've lived, so I would say they are my role models. My role model is uh, John Wooden. So he has strong faith, uh, he has a lot of integrity, a lot of character, and his perspective is to instill in others uh, that higher uh, calling almost to be the best you could bear, that you could be. My role model is my brother. Um, he's always been in my life. He's somebody that cares about people. He's really good at uh, talking to people. He's concerned about their, their feelings and uh, things going on in their life. So. You know, he's always been a role model for me. He's a good Christian man. My role model would be my dad because um, whenever I have questions either about Christianity or life in general, I always feel like I could talk to my dad and he would instill some wisdom into my life. My role model is Tammy Harris and I got to meet her when I was 11 years ago when I was on junior high staff and I have been so grateful for her because she's just walked alongside of life with me and showed me more of Jesus, let me be involved in her family and watch her be a mom and that's inspired me as I become a mom and keep spawning children and so I love her, I love her relationship with God, it's, it makes me want to be closer to Jesus and she's fantastic. My role model is my dad because he, um, he's overcome so much um, adversity in his life and he's really fought to provide for our family and um, He's also really taught me how to be a man of God, and he's been a great example of that in my life, and has kind of guided me through these years in college where I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life, and yeah, he's really been a great, great example for me. My role model is Matt Hemphill, um, and this is because Matt has been my life group leader ever since junior high, um, and he encompasses everything I would think of in a man. Um, he has helped me through many trials and circumstances in my life, um, and he has so much wisdom and knowledge um, for his age, like he's super young, but he has given me so much advice um, and counseling just throughout my life um, and with the struggles that I've gone through, um, and it's really impacted me, and he is a true man of God. So, yeah. My role model would be my brother, Quentin Edwards. He has always been there for me and is raising a wonderful family and loves the Lord, and I look up to my brother. My role model is Pastor Jacob because he will lead me on the right path and he's just really fun to hang out with. My dad was my role model. He was a pastor for his whole life and uh, just did everything for everybody and at the end of his life his one comment was, I wish I could have done more. Yeah, one of the great role models in my life is a guy named Rob Lone. He's just a guy that's a few years older than me, but has chosen, I feel like, to kind of 
pour into me and to help me be closer to Jesus and really help me to be able to see the ministry that I do not just, it can become work and a job and this, but to keep it focused on Christ and how like how Christ is, is filling me and then I'm able to kind of pour that out into others and to really see them particularly how God has made them and to help them in that way. My role model is my mom and um, because she loves me and she loves other people and uh, cares for other people, especially orphans. My role model, especially growing up, was Cassie, my youth pastor's sister. And I just loved how she just was very intentional about the time that she took in sitting with me and just walking through junior high and high school and just different things um, that have happened with my family or friends. Or She was just so intentional about being there for me. And even now, she lives in Arizona, and she still just takes that time to reach out and um, just care for me and hear where I'm at now. Well, my role model is a man that I refer to as my uh, older brother. He's uh, a guy that I met before I became a Christian, and uh, in spite of all of my bad habits, he loved me, and uh, he gave me an example of uh, what a family is like, and the role of a husband, a Christian husband, and uh, I came to Christ probably about five years after I met him and moved away, but <laughs> he's always been my brother. All right. So it's good as we look at all these different uh, people who've been role models and for us to even recognize that we are probably a role model to someone and uh, we are looking to people as role models. And so even in that, we're discipling people or even being discipled, and maybe we're not calling that it that, and maybe we don't realize it's that, but discipleship is happening. I mean, discipleship happens everywhere. It doesn't have to even be just in Christianity. I mean, there's Scientology, right? It's full of disciples. It's not the kind of disciples we want to be, but there's people that are following other people and patterning their lives after them, whether that's even politicians or tech CEOs or Oprah or uh, athletes, celebrities, whoever that is. They're, they're being role models whether uh, they say they aren't a role model or not, right? And so within all of that, for us to think about this, like how am I living this life out as a discipler? Again, whether you're making appointments and having coffee and going through a little book, you know, you're still discipling people whether you're doing that or not. And so it's great as we look at these different role models and different types uh, and then we think about this whole thing of discipleship and really the ultimate role model, right? The ultimate uh, discipler is not just the Sunday school answer, but it's, it's real. It's Jesus, right? And so when we think about discipleship, I certainly hope we're thinking about Jesus. Now, it's just, it's sort of obvious even in the sense of that's where the word comes from, right? Jesus and his disciples. So when we're talking about discipleship, we got to take a second and look at Jesus and how he did this whole thing, Jesus and his disciples. Now, one thing that, that I want us to look at that I think is uh, pretty interesting is just 
how is this system set up? And this is even before we get into our notes. We're going to be at page 16. You can jot some of this stuff down if you want in, in your little book. But this, this sort of setup is just how did the system of schooling and rabbis and disciples and all of this work in the time of Christ? Uh, so the, the way that it would be is that you've got kids and they would go to their synagogue school. And from the ages of 5 to 12, they would have a certain kind of school called Bet Sefer. Now, Bet Sefer, it means house of the book. Okay, so this moment of their education is called house of the book, and that's where they'd be totally focused on the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And that's all they're studying, and they're actually memorizing the Torah. These Jewish kids in their synagogue school from 5 to 12, that's what they would do. Then, when they become 13, they enter into a different stage of life because these Jewish kids were considered religious adults at the age of 13. And so at that point, they have to either go into their father's trade, so if that's, you know, fishing or stonemason or a tanner or whatever it is that they're going to do farming, right? They would go into that trade, but if they were somehow a a more gifted student, they would enter into another school called Bet Midrash, And that's called House of Interpretation. And they'd be in that House of Interpretation school, kind of high school for them, let's say, from from 13 to about 17. And so as they're in that phase, they're no longer just memorizing the words, but they're starting to learn more about how do you interpret the law? How do you apply the law? And then they studied the rest of what we call the Old Testament for the writings and the prophets and all of that. So that's where they'd be in that next phase of schooling. And then if they're an even more exceptionally gifted student, they were allowed to continue to the next phase of that schooling called uh, Bet Talmud, okay, or House of the Disciple, okay? And so this is when they would enter this disciple rabbi phase. Now, this is only for the best of the best, and it's kind of grad school level, let's say. And they would go around and they would uh, have these different rabbis that they could choose to follow. These different rabbis had their way of interpreting the Torah, the law, and they would uh, see how they would, they would do it, and they'd go listen to them, and they would choose which rabbi that they wanted to follow. And then there's kind of this quizzing phase, and then they would be accepted to be a disciple of that rabbi, and they would spend their time in this Bet Talmud phase of their education, just learning and following uh, this 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 rabbi, and then they would be all, they would be doing all of that to hopefully then become a rabbi themselves, right? And then they would make their own, they would have their own disciples, but they would be disciples of themselves, not of their rabbi. So the goal is to, to become a rabbi, and then you have disciples of yourself, and then somebody else in your group becomes a rabbi and gets disciples of themselves, but not of you necessarily any longer, okay? Now, now, so that's the way the whole sort of school rabbi disciple system would work then. But what I think so interesting even is when we think about Jesus, Jesus was not a part of that system. Jesus went into his father's trade. Jesus was most likely a, a stonemason with his father and, you know, just building these, these houses and buildings and, and doing all of that. And, and then... Uh, when we see his ministry years begin is not till the age of around 30 years old, well after this whole rabbi disciple uh, Bet Talmud phase, right? And so he then, he doesn't uh, have these people come up to him and, you know, hear about his interpretations and see if they would choose him. Now he goes 
and he calls them to follow him to be his disciples. So he's kind of changing the system again with that. And then uh, even more is that he's not picking people that have just come out of the Bet Midrash, right? He's not picking these people that have come out of that schooling at 17. He's got guys that are already have, have left and they're out fishing, right? That's what, that's what a lot of them are doing. They're fishing or Matthew, he's collecting taxes and Jesus says, come, follow me. They're actually in their career area of life already when Jesus approaches them and says, come, follow me, come, you will see. And, and, and pulling these guys out of what they were doing and, and not... Here's the other way that Jesus sort of bucks the system, right? Is that he doesn't say, okay, come follow me, be my disciple, and then now you go make disciples of yourselves. It's different. What he says is, from now on, if, you know, Peter is going to follow Jesus, he is then going to have people that, that are following Jesus that he's discipling. And then the next phase is, and then hopefully, you know, people start to get this a little bit wrong, but this is how it should work, right? That you're just continuing to make disciples of Jesus. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, that's what's been happening. And so we're here today, and we're not going to be here to make disciples of ourselves. We are here to make disciples of the rabbi that was 2,000 years ago, right? And so that's what we're all doing. We're all in this to make disciples of Jesus. And what's so cool about Jesus is that we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to be making these disciples ourselves. What I love is that Jesus says, I will make you become fishers of men. Not you become fishers of men. You figure out how to fish men. No, no. I will make you become fishers of men. And so even there, Jesus is is kind of flipping this all around. We don't become that. He's the one who does that work in us. So let's then look kind of a little more deeply into, or just differently into, how do we disciple like Jesus? Because that's what we're trying to do today. And that's what I want you, when we're, when we're taking in these words, take them in in the sense of, how can I be discipling someone? How can I be following Jesus by helping others follow Jesus in the way that Jesus did it, okay? That's what we're trying to, to do and to figure out. And uh, just, I'm, I'm looking forward to us digging into this. And even side note, as you turn, hopefully that page 16 in your book, just, uh, it's, a, it's a privilege for me, even as I'm kind of back up here. I was on sabbatical for a while, and it's been good. It's been a few months since I've been up here with you. And so, uh, just grateful to you for that time, and uh, excited that, like, for what God has been doing in my life. And I'm I don't know about you, but I'm kind of pumped up for this whole multiply thing, this discipleship thing. And it's, it's stirring in me even ways of who can I be pursuing? Who can I be, uh, you know, pouring my life into in different ways? And so that's my hope for you as well in all of this. Be thinking about that. Let that be something you're processing the whole time is who can you be calling out? And so as we look at these little ways, uh, one is that we'll look at is come and see. Something that Jesus says is come and you will see. And if you see, you'll see on the screen here, John 1, 38 to 39, where Jesus says, well, it says, And Jesus turned, saw them following, and says to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And it's just, just it's like, hey, Jesus, wh what are you doing? Where are you staying? Where are you going? What are you doing? And it says he spent that whole day with them. And then it just continues and continues on. But 
Jesus' way of kind of calling people out is to say, come and you'll see. Uh, maybe I might not even explain everything to you right now, but just check it out, right? Come and, come and follow, come and see. And what Jesus is really uh, doing with all of this is that he is, he is exposing them to the nature of his ministry that we see in these first few chapters. He's kind of revealing to them what he's about but I think what I really like that Jesus does in this come and you will see or come and come and see this whole thing is that Jesus is all about kind of flipping the way we view the world. A lot of times we call this the upside down kingdom. That's what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Jesus, it flips everything upside down from the way that we would normally view the world. Jesus says, whoa, whoa now let's flip that. View that a little bit differently now. I want to show you how to view the world through this, the lens of the kingdom of God or the lens of Jesus himself. And one of the, the great ways I think that Jesus does this is through asking really good questions. He asks difficult questions. Uh, and, and sometimes they're difficult in different ways. But for example, just some of the questions that Jesus would ask his disciples are things like, how do we treat our enemies? He says, what's so great about greeting your brothers? Doesn't, doesn't everybody do that? You know, it's, it's, it's about loving your enemies. It's about greeting those that are against you. And then, they're, whoa, what? Like, no, that's not how the world works, right? So he's flipping that. That might seem common to you, but he's, he, it, it wasn't then. He's flipping the way the world works. Or he says, can you add years to your life by worrying? You know, and maybe that one's a bit more rhetorical, but it's just, oh, you're right. And it's getting Jesus to, getting you to think about the way that you view the world. Or when he says to them, why are you afraid? As he's walking to, out to them on the water and they think he's a ghost, right? Why are you scared? Why are you afraid? Don't you realize who I am? I'm not a ghost. I'm God. And he's trying to get them to see the world differently. He says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And sometimes you might read that passage where he says that. Like, you know, they're like, oh, what about your, you know, what about your family? And he's like, Who, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? And it almost feels, it feels wrong to us in some way, like the way that he talks about that. But he's saying, look, within the kingdom of God, my, my earthly relatives here, that's not what matters most. Don't you realize that? When he's saying these questions, he's getting them to think about the kingdom of God as the most important thing, not, not even just family here. He says, do you believe I can do this? Getting them to think about that. Well, I don't know. Do I? Right? Like, that's sort of a, that's sort of a question. Here's one that will really get you. He says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? It's like, ooh, okay, now we're getting real talk, right? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Jesus asks of his disciples. And then finally, and just last one for, for here is, he says to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's frustrated, right? Of course I do. You know, I love you. Well, then feed my sheep, he says. And it's, I think for us, it's disciple people, right? Do you love me? Well, then pour into others so that they can be disciple makers. That's Let's just get this thing going, Jesus says. If you love me, you'll help other people follow me, and then they'll help other people follow me. And so asking good questions is this core key thing of discipleship. And I think if we think of these sorts of questions, or even if you have your book too, look at uh, page 52 in your, in your journal book here, and it's, it's from the curriculum from this last Wednesday night's class. 
but it has just a, a, a list of some good questions. And these are just questions that you can be meeting with somebody and, and ask them. And there's a ton of them here. But, you know, how's God inviting you into a deeper relationship with himself? What have you been learning about God recently? How are you actively pursuing God right now? Are there areas of your life that feel out of balance? You know, there's just a, a bunch of different ones in there. Are there any decisions you're wrestling with? You know, just asking questions. And I think even, uh, you know, we have great curriculums out there. And then we've developed this really great one that I think is awesome. But at the same time, if you just ask good questions, listen well, and pray, you know, be centered on God's word, you're good, right? Like you can be discipling people. And that's kind of that ongoing life of discipleship. Listen, ask good questions, pray. And, and so Jesus, as he says, come and, and you will see he's opening his life to them, really. He's saying, well, come, see where I'm staying, see where I go, see how I live, check it out. I want you to, to see all of that. And so we need to be able to just sort of open our lives to people in some way and realize that it's okay if we don't have it all together. It's good for them to see kind of how we're processing even the areas that we don't have together. I remember for me, one person uh, that discipled me uh, was my freshman year at UC Santa Barbara. I went to, just my freshman year, I went to UC Santa Barbara, and it was kind of a crazy year. And there was, uh, I, I got involved right away, something my dad did that I highly recommend to all you parents. He got me right away connected to the Camp Crusade group called, it's now called Crew, got me connected right away with them, and I was plugged in, and this guy named Rick Soto began to disciple me. And that really helped me while living in, like, the, the den of iniquity, you know? And so uh, it, was, uh, it was so good just for this, this guy. Rick just met with me every week, you know? Every week we sat out there, kind of you see the lagoon to the right, out in the gra- kind of a little grassy area, and we just sit and talk about Jesus. And we talk about uh, my life and who's in control of my life, who sort of sit, do I sit on the throne of my life, or does Jesus and does someone else and... and, and what is my life going to be about? What's my calling? What are, you know, all these things as I'm processing, what's my life going to be about as this guy just met with me every week? And it's kind of cool that I, I just remember meeting with him and then it's sort of, I left and went to Biola and our, our paths just went in different directions in life. And, I, and, and then as I was even preparing for this sermon, it just made me think about him and I looked him up and it's been probably almost like 20 years since I've talked to him. And uh, it, it was cool. So I just, I was able to send an email out and, and we're going to get connected even this next week just to get together and, and talk and just for him, me to be able to share with him like the impact he had on my life. And so, uh, you know, it's just, I even think about these impacts that we don't even maybe over the years realize how big those were in our life. But just to kind of reach out and say thank you to some of those folks that have poured into you over the years, intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, so anyway, that, that time with Rick was so great. But we look at, at another thing that Jesus said and did is he said, he did say, come and see, but he also said, come, follow me. He said, follow me, follow me around, live where I live, do what I do. Uh, he said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And so Jesus sets this all up by saying, okay, come, follow me, and I'm going to make you into this thing called fishers of men. And what's interesting, I think, here is that this whole thing of this like game-changing moment of saying fishers of men, I would think in that moment they're realizing, wait a minute, this isn't just a normal rabbi. We're following someone different. He's doing everything differently, 
And he's saying we're going to fish for men. Maybe this is not just man. Maybe this is actually the Messiah we've been waiting for. And they're, they're starting, the, you know, slowly for these sorts of things to, to click and affect them. But even Jesus, even God himself demonstrated interest in them. Okay? A lot of times we'll sit around and think, oh, you know, well, when someone asks me to disciple them, then I'll disciple someone, you know? Like, uh, you know, like we don't feel good enough. We don't feel like we have something to offer. And so we'll sit around, well, if that person were to, to ask me, I'd feel so honored. And of course, I'd have to help them. Well, Jesus himself didn't do that, okay? Jesus pursued them, showed interest in them, and called them to follow him, So don't think you're better than Jesus, okay? So get up off your seat and go ask somebody, you know, if they want to come follow you or they want to be discipled by you. So just like in that sense, reach out in that way. Jesus himself did it. And then he would show them how to do it and do it with them. This life along the way. And this life along the way was lived mostly around the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And so you see just... This is a picture of the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, and this isn't a 2,000-year-old picture. This is a modern-day photo, believe it or not. Uh, but uh, this modern-day photo is still very, it's pastoral land. It's not, you know, it's not developed. It's just this kind of uh, very, very, uh, kind of just, it feels a re- like a relaxing place to be. And they'd walk around from town to town, and they'd spend life walking through these sorts of, of places. And... While Jesus was walking around and this life along the way, he would be then sharing with his disciples, showing them different things, uh, sharing stories or pointing out different things about what they would see, faith like a mustard seed, you know, those sorts of examples, looking up to the mountains, looking up to the light on the hill that was in this area, this, uh, this city on a hill that was lit. And, you know, so Jesus is using what he's seeing and what's around him to teach and to pour into his disciples. And it was easy when you think about if you're walking around with these people. I mean, that's like nice, easy time just to be with them. Now, in our culture, it's so different, right? Like we have to make time intentionally to be able to spend time with people, to really be able to pour into them. And, and that's good. We need to have those formal times. And I'll talk more about that as we go, but we have these sort of formal times or these appointments for coffee or, you know, things like that. But we also, I just would hope for us to be able to create ways that we can integrate our lives together in sort of normal ways, right? To live some normal life together. And even another part in your uh, book on page 56 is, is just got a bunch, a big list of creative ideas for meeting with people. And it has the typical of a meal or a coffee, but, you know, it could be driving someone to the airport. Everybody needs that, right? Uh, uh, it's serving together, going to a baseball game together, surfing, you know, you're at your kid's sporting event, or inviting a family over for dinner. It's, uh, uh, it's just a mutual hobby, getting a pedicure. I, I think Dave said he was going to do that one with, with some of you. But, uh, you know, <laughs> a play date with your kids, whatever, you know, whatever that might be, you know, just trying to think of different ways that you can kind of integrate your lives together in ways that maybe are less formal feeling in addition to those formal times. Because that's how they saw Jesus live, 
where that life of modeling that life of, of, uh, of a transformed life or a growing life focused on the kingdom of God, they saw him in prayer. They saw him go off to times of silence and solitude. They saw him fast or they saw kind of his frugal way of living or his service, his stewardship, his faith. They saw his focus on the will of the Father. All that, a lot of that was more observed than taught, right? It's caught more than it's taught. And that's kind of part of how we live this life of discipleship. And even thinking uh, methodology, you know, it's interesting because our default goes, right, when you think of discipling someone, at least my default goes one-on-one, kind of over coffee with a little curriculum book in front of us that we've gone through and done our homework, and then we come together and talk about it, right? That's, that's sort of my default when I think about that. And that's good. We need to, be, we need to do that. It's very, very good, actually. And, but then um, sometimes what we see in Jesus could also be different. We don't often see him one-on-one. I mean, we see some little glimpses of when he's talking to Peter or someone one-on-one. But really, it was uh, more he had the three core disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John. And then he also had the 12 then. And then there's kind of in that 70s range of people. But then there's the crowds. You know, and so there's these layers of Jesus' ministry to people. And a lot of it was done one on 12, one on three. And so for us, maybe just to think differently about how we would disciple and that, you know, to hang out with a few people can be a good thing. And maybe you're maximizing your efforts way more when you think about one-on-three versus one-on-one. And so anyway, just as, as you think about that, just let that story, let, let Jesus' model kind of sink in for you and be processing that for you. But another person that really helped me when it's this sort of discipleship along the way was uh, this guy that you'll see on the screen. His name's Josh Martin. Josh Martin, when I was in high school, he said uh, he was the worship leader for my youth group. And he said, Eric, I'm going to pick you up every Wednesday night and take you to church. And I was like, okay. And so you have to come early too because i got to get there to practice. Okay. And, you know, I just did it because he was cool and his dad was a famous surfboard shaper. And uh, I thought that was awesome. And he's a surfboard shaper and he goes off-roading and fishes. And, I don't, you know, I just thought it was stuff I thought was cool. And so... I, I wanted to hang out with Josh, and so he would pick me up, and every Wednesday night, he'd drive me to, to church and drive me home later afterwards, and we'd just hang out and talk. It was a very regular sense of informal discipleship in that way. He also loved off-roading, so he'd say, hey, Eric, you want to go you know, out to Anzaborrego with me? And so we go. We get in the car. We go out in the desert. We go rock crawling. We do all these things that were cool that I thought, you know, as this 15-year-old kid, that's really cool. I want to go do that. I mean, he was a 19-year-old kid, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was just this way of, of him kind of spending that time. And uh, one, one thing, I'd, I'd started listening to this band a little bit beforehand, but it was this guy, Josh Martin. If you know me at all, you know, I'm kind of not just a fan, but a fanatic about the band U2, and so this was kind of a good week for me, too, with the album being free, and all, anyway, all this stuff, but uh, I, I can tend to be a fanatic about that, but it was... It, it was Josh Martin in the car, always listened to U2, and he would turn it, he'd say, oh, listen to this part, and turn it up, and this song's about this, and this song's about that, and, you know, like, so, you know, even these other things, when we talk about we're always discipling, we don't realize it, like, in that way, Josh was discipling me about something silly, like this band that I love, and, but he was also really showing me how to be a man of God and to live for Christ in the midst of those along-the-way moments, so a couple other things that we want to look at uh, as, as we just see even Jesus saying these things of 
Not come and be with me in the work of ministry, but then also I'm going to be sending you out into ministry of your own while I'm still around you, okay? So Jesus is still around. He's having them be with him in the work of ministry, but then also sending them out. And it's, uh, you'll, you'll see some of these verses that are, that are said here in this Matthew 9, 10 part of this uh, sending out. He says, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And then the very next verse, it says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority. So, hey, we need to send workers out. There is a work that needs to be done. And now I'm giving you authority to do this work. And then verse 5 says, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. Okay, so Jesus has given them some sense of authority and instruction. They've witnessed his life. They've walked with him. And now he's like, go, go do it. Go do this work of ministry. And they go out and they're doing ministry and it's hard. And the thing is, is Jesus is not done with them yet. I mean, we see that this is just Matthew 9, 10 and Matthew 13. They're back talking parables and Jesus is explaining those stories to them and he's still helping them and processing that with them. But he's sending them out to do their work of ministry. And so it's uh, even just thinking through this is that Jesus has He's deploying them. He's, he's giving them a sense of, of calling. And that's, I remember even, like when I think about Rick Soto, that guy in my life, he was pouring into me, but not just saying, hey, learn about Jesus so you have more knowledge, but learn about Jesus so you can now go and live. You are discipling to make disciples who are disciple makers, okay? We're being, we're making disciple makers. That's part of the whole thing with this, okay, is, is we're, we're doing this whole, whole deal. And Jesus, you know, he just continued to show them. He just modeled it again and again and again as he walks along with them and he sees Zacchaeus in a tree and he says, hey, come down, I'm going to go eat with you. And they're thinking, what? Right? Like everything's changing when they witness the way that he acts and the way that he treats people, the sorts of questions that he asks when he feeds, when he's going to go feed thousands of people and he turns to Philip in one of those oh dear moments when you're in class and Jesus says, how are we going to feed all these people? How are we going to get the food? And Philip's like, I don't know, basically. He's like, we can't. You know, we don't have enough money. He's looking at the realistic picture and Jesus says, all right, let me show you actually this whole thing's different than the lens that you're working with and then he shows them what he's capable of. And so that's, you know, that's that showing them that ministry along the way, that, that long view that, uh, that I think here is what Jesus had with them was this sort of long view of ministry. And I think uh, a ministry in our church that really gets this that I've been able to be a part of is when I think of our student ministries. And uh, one, one thing that I have been able to do in these last four years is just a way of me volunteering uh, in the church. I felt like that's important even, like I should have a, a way that I'm serving and volunteering is I was a high school small group leader for the past four years. And these guys just graduated uh, this last June. And this is them when they were freshmen. And uh, man, they are different people today than they were then. Um, whether it's not because of me necessarily. But, um, but these were... Uh, but what I love about the way that student ministries looks at this is 
people will serve within student ministries as, as a life group leader. And most often, so in high school, I mean, they're from ninth all the way to 12th grade, sometimes from 7th to 12th grade, sometimes even into college. And what I love about it is that it's, what I mean by that long view, it's this, this view of the big picture when it comes to discipleship is, I, we would have formal meetings. I'd have formal meetings with these knuckleheads every Sunday morning, you know, we have a, we have that formal time where we're going through a list of questions. And that time was, was good, but most of the time it wasn't, <laughs> honestly, you know, it wasn't, wasn't about what took place in those formal times going through questions, but it was really more about the power of being there, the power of being there and being there over the long haul. That it, the, I feel like the nitty-gritty of discipleship happened when my phone would ring and it would be like, Eric, I need to talk. You know, this stuff's going really wrong right now. Or I've blown it in this way. Or we'd get together for those, like those lunches or coffees or whatever outside of our formal time. And, and I've even, even telling these guys, they graduated, but I said, look, I, I'm not, I'm not done with you. You know, I'm not, like, you're not, no, you're no, you know, you're not banished from my life. Although some of them are across the country at college and all of that, but... It was just to try and stay in, in contact with them, to try and be connected to them and see how that long view kind of discipleship can continue to play out for them. So I just encourage you, when it comes to this sort of discipleship, to consider how can just your power of being there in someone's life be displayed and how can you have that in addition to those formal moments, but also to encourage you that when those formal moments just seem kind of lame, <laughs> you know, or you're just, you feel like you're going through the motions, that, that's okay. You know, that it's that power of being there, being present and available for them. And then Jesus shows us that even for him, he wasn't going to always be there with them. He says, remain in me, abide in me. And what you have in John 13 to 17 is Jesus really showing them his last words before he's going to be gone. And a few key things he says is John 14, 16. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. Because then Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Okay, so we abide in him. We bear fruit as we abide in him, but we also know that then he will be gone, he says. He says, but now I am going to him who sent me. But I tell you the truth, this is one of those crazy passages of scripture, it is to your advantage that I go away, Jesus says. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying to his own discipleship group, hey, I am going to be going and something, and this will actually be better. So like, even for us, as we consider discipleship, that, that for Jesus, with his great commission to them and sending them out, the, the relationship doesn't end, but the relationship has changed. Okay, at the Holy Spirit, that they're reliant more on the Holy Spirit. And hopefully as you disciple people, they are going to probably have seasons where they're dependent on you. And that's not okay for very long. They need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus himself sent his disciples out to be dependent on the Spirit of God and not him. And recognize too, Jesus himself then said all this stuff and then they ran away in fear and one of them betrayed him. Okay, so it's like, it doesn't all go perfect. Okay, and that's like just 
faith. We have faith in God and we trust and we have that long view of how things will go. So we want to disciple like Jesus. We want to, you know, do this. And sometimes, whenever someone says, hey, do this like Jesus, it's always a little bit like, seriously? Like, that seems really hard. <laughs> and so I want us to have a little time to process how do we actually do this kind of patterned after the way Jesus did. And so what we have in your, in your books and what we have even in this whole Multiply series are just these times of processing. And if you haven't done it yet, open your book to page 18. And page 18 has some journal questions. And we're going to do that, not later, you know, not at home later, when you just put this away and watch football. We're going to do it right now, okay? So we're going to have some time and space to do this right now. We want you to be able to process. We want you to reflect on these questions. As you think about your fears and insecurities of discipling people, as you think about the way Jesus did and what you can glean from it, I want to add one thing for you to think about. If you want to jot this down, you can. One more thing to think about is... Just start now thinking about who is God calling me to disciple, you know? Who is God calling me to ask to, just to follow me a little bit? That I can help follow Jesus while I follow Jesus. So let's take that time. We're going to have about seven minutes right now just to reflect. Let me pray for you and you're dismissed to that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your example and how freeing really in a lot of ways your example is. And I pray, Lord, that you would just speak into our hearts and minds now of what you would have us do, what you would have us be about. Lord, calm our fears, calm our insecurities. Lord, just please uh, minister to each one of us in this time. In your name, amen.